transparency and keeping open communication has been really, really key. This crisis scenario has really underpinned the importance of investor targeting and cultivating a very strong shareholder base. You earn the best-in-class moniker during difficult times. Welcome to the Exchange Feed podcast series. This is your host, Tanya Roundtree, Global Head of Client Success at TMX Group. On today's podcast, we are going to tackle the timely topic of IR and disruption. Globally, we are all, of course, dealing with one of the largest economic disruptions of our lives due to COVID-19 pandemic. Many companies have had to pivot their operations in order to continue, or they've had to make really tough concessions. However, there are other times where a business might face disruption, for example, due to walkouts or activist actions, or even with the onset of a large new entrant to their marketplace. Today's discussion is going to tackle not only how you plan for such events, but when they happen, how does your approach to conducting IR and communicating to investors change? To help us navigate this discussion, we have some very knowledgeable guests joining to share their perspectives. Our first guest is Preston Gelman, Director of Perception Research and Analysis at IHS Markets. Thank you for being with us, Preston. Thank you for having me. Next, we have Camilla Bardo-Chavez, VP Investor Relations with Altus Group. Camilla, thanks for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Tanya. And our final guest is Lynn Beauregard-Fisher, VP Investor Relations and Marketing with Real Matters. Lynn, it's great to have you join us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's begin with Preston. Preston, uh, the IHS Markets Perception and Analytics team engages in in-depth discussions with investors and analysts each day. Can you tell us about the decision to come out with a report series based on these regular discussions? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a team here that obviously interacts with investors and analysts on a daily basis on behalf of our corporate clients. Um, and, and the part of that engagement is to provide insight into the why to explain a lot of the quantitative data that we produce. Um, over time, we've developed relationships with these investors and analysts because of how often we're communicating with them, the depth of our discussions that we're having, um, and generally because they view us as a trusted provider that could capture their feedback accurately and anonymously if needed. So many times throughout our history, um, we're able to leverage those relationships and gather broader market commentary on a number of different topics. So given the recent market volatility, given the economic uncertainty associated with the recent pandemic, we felt there was an appetite for immediate insight into how this pandemic was going to impact the role of IR more broadly. And we wanted to be able to gather real-time feedback to help our clients strategize for that uncertain future and importantly, plan for Q1 earnings, which was quickly coming up. So over the course of most of March and then the beginning of April, we connected with nearly 60 investors and analysts to gather their feedback on a number of pressing topics that ultimately were used for that market perspective series. Uh, that's, that's the conduit of this discussion today. For sure. So can you tell us about what those key learnings were, or what maybe the foundational themes that came out of, of those discussions were in the reports? Yeah, there's always interesting feedback whenever you reach out to investors and gather any type of perception feedback. Um, it may be a key theme or a consensus message, but oftentimes for broader kind of market pieces like this, it's the one-off comments that are most interesting and most compelling because they offer a real window 
um, into the way that people are thinking about a certain subject at a given moment in time. Um, so when we conducted this feedback and gathered this intelligence, we were kind of stunned with some of the commentary um, from investors and analysts, most specifically uh, how comfortable the investors were with the idea of companies pulling guidance for Q1 earnings. I think that was one of the key findings from the study. Sure. And we've now seen that. And we've now seen that in the market. Over 500 companies have pulled guidance. Mm -hmm. Over 100 S&P 500 companies have pulled their guidance. So we were kind of blown away by how comfortable investors were with the idea of companies not necessarily being able to put forth guidance uh, in, in the short term. Um, I also think that some of the more interesting findings were things that we might have predicted. Um, a lot of investors believe that being forced to depend on technology due to a lot of these remote work scenarios, uh, how that might fundamentally alter the way that issuers engage with investment communities going forward. Um, and then lastly, one of the key findings was mm -hmm. just simply how so many investors and analysts felt super strongly that um, lots of companies didn't really prepare for this, rode a 10-year upcycle, and that they were really in danger due to the highly levered nature of their balance sheets. Um, so those were, in my opinion, three of for the sure. key findings that, that were super interesting from the market perspective series. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, you mentioned in their investor engagement and how that might have changed. I'd like I'd like to ask Camilla uh, to begin in explaining how that experience at Altus, that work from home, that shifting environment, how has that impacted your investor engagement? Sure, yeah. I mean, I would say off the bat, it's increased dramatically. And that's primarily due to the pandemic crisis situation we find ourselves in, and less so through the work from home situation. Um, sure. You know, to start plans for some of the traditional roadshows were really halted due to travel restrictions and obviously management schedule shifting as we each had our own fires to put out. But in a way, we actually accelerated engagement. And, you know, to put that volume in perspective, I would say between late February and now, I must have logged something like over 60 buy-side conversations, some proactive on my part, but I would say the high majority has been inbound um, related to assessing potential COVID-19 impact, right? So, um, mm -hmm. you know, we honored one non-deal roadshow type of conference commitment that moved virtual, but beyond that, it's really been primarily one-on-one -on -one calls and discussions with analysts. I mean, interestingly, in, in addition to speaking with existing shareholders, I've actually seen a bit of a trigger for prospective new investors reaching out, which, you know, I think for them, they could potentially be evaluating an entry point during the pullback. So that's sure. been a pretty interesting dynamic that I think, you know, added to the volume. Yeah, I, I know when we advise clients uh, at TMX Group that shareholder turnover and, and new entrants coming in and, and taking a look at your story or um, thinking about taking a position, that that's really, really important for so many issuers right now as there's a change in their shareholder base. Um, so Lynn, anything that you'd add to how your experience with investor engagement has changed in, during this period of crisis? Certainly. So I would concur with Camilla that um, just in terms of volume of inbound requests for information uh, from both buy side and sell side has been tremendous, obviously. You know, markets have been incredibly unstable and the investment community is really just looking for more real-time information about what's going on in our industry and management's views on how the economic impact of this crisis is going to play out on our company and the industry, um, both in the near term and the long term. 
So um, we've taken a very, very proactive uh, stance on communicating throughout this crisis. Um, we have to, just like Camille was saying, make ourselves uh, very adaptable and flexible um, and just being available to respond to inquiries um, from, from investors. And above and beyond that, um, from a real matters perspective, um, we have been, um, we kicked off uh, seven weeks ago, I guess, um, with a news release, and we've done one every week since then. Um, that's a weekly view of the market and what's going on with our operations. So that we're responding um, in near real time, uh, giving the investment community more information on on uh, our company and about the industry yeah. that we operate in. Um, and we've leveraged that to basically the platform to have conversations with our investors. Fortunately for us, because of the timing of our year end, um, we didn't have to deal with an AGM that was already behind us. Um, yeah. And we're about to report our second quarter. So we found ourselves in a pretty fortunate position from that perspective. At least we didn't have to deal with, you know, dealing with a, a virtual AGM. Uh, but that said, you know, the, as I said, seven weeks ago, we kicked off with a news release and we actually hosted a conference call. Uh, with our investors, which, you know, we're not a company that typically issues uh, news releases uh, for marketing purposes. Uh, it's, it's really uh, a very um, results-driven type of approach that we have from, from an IR perspective. And uh, I think we, we quickly changed tax to be able to, you know, address the, uh, the increased need for information uh, that was out there. Uh, do you feel that this virtual engagement um, will replace in-person engagement or, or do you feel like people are going to start preferring a combination of the two? Well, I was just going to say that we hear from investors all the time and obviously there's a subset that say that there's never going to be a substitute for sitting in front of somebody, being able to ask direct questions, get direct answers, assess body language, etc. Um, however, there's, all, there's now feedback that connectivity through one-on-one -on -one virtual meetings is sometimes better than the type of interactions that they were getting on conference calls or at group meetings at a conference. It's actually more For intimate. Sure. So, there's sure. some, so there's some people who believe that that could be a trend in the future, especially when you consider the cost efficiency of this newer technology interactions. And there's some investors who simply say, we have questions that need to be answered. And while we rely on access to management for those answers, we just need access to management's thought process and decision making. And if we could accomplish that over a virtual meeting, that that checks the box for us. So there's definitely uh, a growing appetite that in-person meetings might not be as necessary in the future. Um, but there's definitely a subset of investors who will never believe that there's a substitute for that, that in-person engagement. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. And there's the distinction, I think, too, um, which you made, Preston, about video and about the intimacy of being able to, um, you know, have, have that kind of face-to-face, -face, but through a video platform. Do you see there being a real difference between video and solely um, an audio update to investors? Yeah, we hear from investors all the time that the reason for the in-person meetings is this this narrative around being able to assess body language. There's there's an a value ascribed to having that personal connectivity, seeing somebody, being able to assess body language. And I think that we're all learning that there's an element of that that can be captured over video conference. And as we get more familiar with that and more comfortable with that, and similarly, as companies are forced to make investments in their technology and their IT systems because they're facilitating this new work from home environment, that we should that, that investors do think that as long as it's through video conferencing, we should be able to translate that to, to 
um, future engagement within both investors and analysts. Mm-hmm. Just picking up on a theme right, that you were talking about, sorry, uh, I just wanted yeah, to pick up ahead. on a theme that that uh, that uh, we were discussing is that the the live interaction on a video conference um, actually is it's a different. It's, there's a learning curve there from from an executive management team perspective when you're talking to investors over video conference. It's it's easy to forget sometimes if you're in your home office or, or whatnot and you've got several screens going at the same time as you're speaking to investors, and that brings in a whole new dimension. Uh, in terms of, you know, really needing to focus on the person that's in front of you and, you know, making eye contact and all all that kind of thing. Um, Because, you know, it's just, it's a different way of doing things. And I think um, that uh, as, as people get more comfortable with video platforms, I think there'll be increased use of video. I mean, I, I don't know if you agree, but I, I really don't see us returning anytime soon to uh, face-to-face meetings. Uh, even if restrictions are lifted uh, in mm-hmm. the near term, I don't think you'll see management teams traveling. Um, just from a risk yeah. perspective, it doesn't make sense to, to put them at risk. So I think yeah. it's, it's about learning to to really operate with that new medium and also making sure that from an IR perspective, when you're planning roadshows, you know, it's, it's a whole different ball of wax to be doing eight one hour meetings back to back for an entire day in front of your screen than it is to be on the road and doing those eight meetings where you've got breaks in between and so on. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the traditional format is probably going to have to shift a little bit to accommodate for these, these uh, virtual video conference meetings. You know, um, at the outset, when we started uh, talking about this, we talked a little bit about guidance and, and, you know, how investors haven't shied away when, when there's been a withdrawal of guidance or a change. Um, maybe Preston, you could talk a little bit about what investors are looking for as they look at Q1 earnings, which uh, for many, although not everyone on this call, is something that people are uh, thinking about now. Yeah, definitely. So investors and analysts are giving, quote unquote, a free pass to companies right now who might be considering pulling guidance. Um, They understand that some of that information is not going to be accurate, and therefore it's better for a company to just present underlying financials and allow people to make their own assumptions. Um, however, with that said, people are going to model your company, whether or not you provide that guidance. So the goal would be to try to be as transparent as possible. Um, when the market turns over like this, a lot of people get concerned about the strength of the balance sheet and whether or not management's fully understanding how bad things could get in a worst case scenario and how prepared they are for that from a balance sheet liquidity standpoint. Um, so it's important to be forthright about that uncertainty frame where you expect to see the largest impact, also where you don't expect to have a large impact, things of that sort. Um, but in the end, you know, balance sheet, cash flow, liquidity, critical metrics that you're going to want to provide as much visibility and transparency into, any type of revenue pressures, um, as well as your in, as much insight as you could provide into ways that you could kind of pull levers as it relates to fixed costs and variable costs. Those are all the things that we're hearing. And it really gets under the arch of, you know, you need to present some kind of stress test of your business model under different scenarios. Um, the scenario analysis is critical. For presenting some type of insight in, around the economic timing of a recovery, laying out the scenario that you believe to be most likely, but then also a best case scenario and then a worst case scenario. And what we're hearing from some investors is that they might actually take that worst case scenario and make that the base case for the investment thesis in which case it presents a unique opportunity uh, for some companies to come out and outperform. Um, So that's a lot of the feedback that we're hearing around the expectations that investors have around the visibility that can be provided into Q1 earnings. Um, One note I'd like to add 
And it's interesting because we're focused on Q1 earnings because we're in the heart of it right now. A lot of investors recognize Q2 earnings is really going to be the problem area where a lot of these impacts are going to show up in the financials. Mm-hmm. So any, t- any type of intra-quarter impacts that companies are seeing that they can provide visibility into is going to help investors kind of get a bearing around what to expect come Q2. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and that, you know, scenario based sort of disclosure, um, it, it, not knowing the longevity of, of the pandemic and what we're going to be up against, it's really important to provide those scenarios uh, for investors. Now, I wonder, Lynn and, and Camilla, was there anything that you would add to, to that, the sort of um, what you're seeing? It's just in the conversations, you know, we're trying to be as transparent as we can be, but still yeah. being careful not to get into potentially material undisclosed information in these sort of one-on-one conversations. Um, and, you know, we're having a lot of qualitative conversations around potential risk areas, business continuity measures, and mit- mitigation strategies. Uh, but, you know, for us, to date, it's been more of a qualitative approach. You know, we'll be prepared to comment with more detail and, you know, sure. provide some of that stress testing that Preston mentioned at our upcoming Q1 call. Right. Okay. Great. What I, and I, what I would add to that, so from our perspective as well, one of the things that um, I think we've been, you know, also very qualitative in nature and what we've, we've been saying um, and, you know, to address the, um, the issues around selective disclosure, we've been issuing news releases uh, with our views in them, as I, I was discussing earlier. And what we've also been doing, I think, um, which is very helpful, is, is keeping a very close eye on what's going on in the markets, what's going on in our industry, industry news, headlines, all that type of stuff, because that's what our investors are watching, right? They're, they're looking mm-hmm. at the headlines come across, and it's been, you know, huge gyrations emerged, huge changes. There's you know, a, a lot of, um, in, from the U.S. government at least, uh, a lot of programs have been put in place, and there's going to be a lot of economic impact from that. And so we've been watching those and making sure that, you know, we keep pace with what's coming out and so that we're ready to react and to sort of give our views um, and so that our investors, you know, to what we were speaking to earlier, are able to assess risk and they're able to find out, okay, well, this is yes, this is a real risk, this is not a real risk, you know, because we've been asked a lot about, you know, what can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've been um, keeping a close eye on on headlines and, and what's going on in our space to make sure that we're ready to respond. Uh, as Kimmel was noted earlier, I think transparency and keeping open communication has been really, really key um, yeah. during this, uh, this time. Yeah, especially in these times, for sure. Um, I can't believe our time's coming to a close, but in closing, I wonder, Lynn and Camilla, if you could share your thoughts for those IROs that are listening to us in terms of what would, I mean, apart from what you just very succinctly said, of course, uh, what's the one piece of advice that you'd have for other IROs that are facing disruption in their business, whether it be the pandemic that we're experiencing now or perhaps uh, another kind of scenario? Let's start with uh, Camilla. Yeah, sure. I would just say, look, let's all acknowledge the big elephant in the room. We have to yeah. actually address COVID-19 related concerns head on with such, with as much transparency as we can provide on potential risks and available opportunities, you know, bring it back to the longer term perspective, as Lynn mentioned, you know, everything from near term impact operations to longer term impacts on strategy and financial health. Um, for me personally, you know, this crisis scenario has really underpinned the importance of investor targeting and cultivating a very strong shareholder base. Mm-hmm. You know, Alta's 
Group's share price has fared relatively well in this market. You know, we're down less than 4% in three months and still up over 10% year to date. Amazing. And, you know, in my opinion, having a targeted, highly institutional, long term and growth oriented shareholder base has really helped us withstand some of that volatility. Um, and, you know, in my final comment, you know, I came across a really interesting note. Default software research team published uh, a really compelling open letter to issuers a couple of days ago. And, you know, some of the advice they leave us with, they're, you know, they said Q1 is the time to clear the deck, cut projections with an axe, not a scalpel, right? Um, you know, this is yeah. really so important. I think this is yeah. the one time in us, Preston said, we're, we're somewhat getting a, a bit of a pass. I think it will be mm-hmm. more telling in Q2. For sure. Uh, so much yeah. tougher. Great. Thank you so much. And, and Lynn? Yeah, so to, to build off of what Camilla was saying, I think, um, you know, having a great stable shareholder base that's very long focused, I think, uh, does wonders for a company uh, through through a crisis like this and keeping people focused on the long term. So making sure that, you know, um, if there's dislocations in the market and your share price does stumble, that um, you're you're going to um, communicate first, probably with the large shareholders, the ones that are going to be with you through thick and thin, as opposed to being distracted by shorter-term focused investors. Um, I think that's that's one piece of advice there. And um, I think the the other piece of advice I give is, you know, this is a pandemic and it's uh, a life event like none of us have ever seen and hopefully we'll never ever see again during our Mm -hmm. lifetimes. Um, This is our version of World War II. And so your approach to investor relations is not going to be the same as it's always been. And I think people have to be uh, more flexible and more open to doing things that they wouldn't normally do and stepping out of their comfort zone. And for some management teams, that means uh, being more open, more transparent and being able to put themselves out there uh, knowing that they don't know all the answers. And I think uh, I'm very fortunate. We have a very, very strong management team that's got deep expertise and um, that is, uh, you know, more than happy to keep communicating with shareholders. And that's helped us through this. I mean, we, we hit a 52-week high uh, since this crisis has began. And our share price is up like 35% uh, year to date. So we're, we're sitting in a, a really great position. But I think that's because um, of the management team's um, mm-hmm. uh, commitment to communicating with investors through this. so Absolutely. Such an important message. And uh, I'm so happy you were able to share that with our, with our listeners. Certainly you're in a good position there uh, with the management team that you have. Um, Preston, just in closing then, um, you know, from an investor perspective, what would be the one piece of advice? One of the things that we tell a lot of the management teams and the IR teams that we work with is that you earn the best in class moniker during difficult times, not when everyone's riding the great wave. So this is an opportunity for companies to differentiate themselves. And if you differentiate yourselves now, that's going to drive long-term trust and credibility with your investment community. So it needs to be a balance because you know you cannot present too much certainty at the moment because that's not credible. Um, but let's be honest, uncertainty mm-hmm. is what makes stocks go, go down. So Mm -hmm. if an IR team is getting questions and not responding to it and driving more uncertainty in the market, that's the worst thing that you could be doing. So it's important to be proactive, not reactive. It's important to be responsive and accessible. And the one advice I would give is that even if you do not have a direct answer, it's still important to get back to your investment community to let them know that you will try to get that answer for them and provide as much transparency and visibility as possible 
because uncertainty is the name of the game here. As much mm-hmm. kind of visibility and transparency you can provide to limit uncertainty at a time like this is going to have long-term positive effects on the perception of your management and your IR credibility. Yeah, such currency that people won't forget. So uh, thank you all for sharing you know, your perspectives. It's been a really informative discussion and that I think our listeners will be interested in listening to. So I wanna thank you all for your participation. Wish you good luck in this next quarter as uh, there's a huge challenge ahead for sure for all of us, but it sounds like you've got uh, the right IR plans in place and uh, I wanna wish you well and stay healthy. 